that finger injury was gruesome. It was not. It was not super fun to look at. No, that was like a wide-angle lens and some racial slurs away from being a Tarantino film. That's how bloody <laughs> that finger was. <laughs> oh my god! You dyed it in red. Remember Todd White? Where did Eric Carlson eat last night? Doesn't matter if you asked. It's the Chad and Luke podcast. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode Regan of the Chet Sellers and Luke Peristi podcast. I'm Luke, and I'm joined as always by the man who has been medically cleared by multiple doctors to rejoin this podcast. It's Chet Sellers. <laughs> How you doing, man? Pleasure to be here. Uh, love the show. I'm doing well. It's my understanding that you love the show. Is that true? I love the show. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Senators clinched playoffs with two games to go. So, you know, kick your feet up. Go for home ice advantage in the first round. I think a win against the Rangers this afternoon. And we don't even have to worry about the Islanders. And then we get to watch the Leafs sweat. <laughs> that's that's right. We are taping this on Saturday morning before the 12.30 p.m. Rangers game, which is Fan Appreciation Day. Uh, Your <laughs> league time for puck drop? What yeah. is that? Apparently, yeah, it's apparently uh, Fan Appreciation if you're like seven and you have activities later this afternoon. The Canadian Tire Center is going to have the greatest concentration of hangovers in Ontario. That's about twelve thirty <laughs> this afternoon. That's that's possible. But by the time we actually air this uh, on Monday, we will know whether or not the Senators have home ice advantage and whether they're playing Toronto or Boston. So all the speculation on this Saturday morning recording will be for not. But one thing that I can say is that the last time we did this, I think the Senators had won five or six in a row. All of Pierre Dorian's deadline moves were coming up aces with Stahlberg and Burroughs, you know, chipping in, scoring goals. And since then, uh, everybody's been hurt and the Senators have lost every game. <laughs> and we're just kind of, we're going to make the playoffs, but it's sort of like there's a lot of smoke pouring out of the engine right now as we cross the finish line, possibly in sixth or seventh. I wasn't expecting to spend my early April getting excited about Ben Harper. <laughs> right? that was, that's not a thing I was planning on doing. And for all this talk that, you know, maybe the Senators should have more depth to limit the effect of these injuries, I'm not sure that you could take the top three defensemen off of any other team and not expect that team to go in the tank for a bit. Um, especially <laughs> well, when one of those players is Eric Carlson. That I, I gotta say, the Senators are not as good without Eric Carlson. Can I, <laughs> am I breaking the news there? Uh, not really. It's, it's funny, you know, because as much respect as we give Guy Boucher and the system for basically treating the neutral zone like a clogged toilet, it kind of turns out that you need somebody like Eric Carlson above and beyond that in a very conservative offensive system. You need someone with generational talent who can kind of overcome it and actually score the puck more often than not, or at least create chances. So yeah, we really have seen one shortcoming of the system in the last couple of days, that being not having Eric Carlson. 
Yeah, um, at this point, The Senators Without Eric Carlson is kind of like instant noodles without water. Um, <laughs> it just you're, you're missing a key ingredient, and it just doesn't work without it. Carlson has been, even though he's been hurt, I mean, he basically said to Guy Boucher, I don't care, got on a plane, flew to Detroit, uh, showed up at the arena two hours before game time, played the entire game. Uh, you know, ended up getting hurt in the next game and still came back to the bench to basically <laughs> coach the defense. Like, even Guy Boucher at this point is kind of like, I'm just going to let Eric Carlson cook. I'm going to let him do his <laughs> thing. Like, I don't ever remember in any of the instances where Captain Jason Spezza got hurt that he was back on the bench basically directing traffic, uh, you know, <laughs> yelling at Kyle Turris to do more drop passes or something like that. Uh, so, I mean, Eric Carlson, even if he doesn't play another game this year, I think has really kind of put the capper on what I hope is a fairly strong Norris Trophy argument and maybe even a Hart Trophy argument because he is clearly the player on which Ottawa relies 100%. He has done everything that people said he didn't used to do. He has played defense. He's blocked shots. He's played through injuries. He's led as a gritty veteran captain instead of like a, you know, beautiful Swedish man who doesn't look like he plays hockey all that hard. So at this point, I don't really know what else the guy could do. What I want to see happen is I want to see him get the heart and I want then the heart to have some kind of like Russian nesting doll situation where inside is also his Norris. <laughs> and then inside that Norris is like a kinder egg. And he's like, ah, this is wonderful. It reminds me of my boyhood in Sweden. That's what I want. I want him to get a Norris and a heart and a kinder egg all at the same time in Las Vegas uh, this summer. Yeah, I love the idea that Eric Carlson was, was, just, was just chilling at his home, feet up on the couch, checking Twitter. And then saw, whoa, those are the D pairings tonight? <laughs> and immediately jumped in his Lamborghini and drove down to the airport and flew to Detroit. It's like, right. we are not starting Yerky Yokopaka tonight. I, I will not stand for it. <laughs> oh, my God. We are coming up with new and creative ways to scratch Yerky Yokopaka. I'll tell you that right now. I'll tell you that for free. To the point where it's even like, oh, Yerky, unfortunately, we're not going with 7D tonight because, uh, and this is true, Clark MacArthur coming back i know what are the odds right anyway uh if you go to the press box uh they've already got the uh, they've already got the spread out waiting for you so enjoy the nachos yeah exactly he's got the patrick weirkosh memorial seat in the press box all waiting for him <laughs> he and colin white are going to be best friends by the end of the year that's for sure um so i'm interested to see whether or not the senators can actually hang on over the weekend and get home ice over I hope Toronto, but it's probably going to be Boston because Eric Carlson at this point has sort of proven everything he needs to prove in terms of how tough he is. Like he he literally said this year, OK, you know what? I'm going to still be a generational offensive player, but I'm going to play hurt all the time, be really tough, block a lot of shots. I'll just I'll just add that one small element to my game. Like, you know how they said every year, Michael Jordan or LeBron or somebody, you know, to continue being the best has to, like, find some new element to add to their game they're like this year i'm gonna shoot more threes or this year i'm gonna be tougher down low in the post eric carlson was just like okay i'm gonna do everything i already do and i'm just gonna get pelted with pucks while i play 30 minutes a night all year so people can't say i don't do it like it's it's really it's really incredible when you think about it yeah he's kind of a lot like post jail muhammad ali at this point you know, early in his career, he was all about speed and finesse and would just beat people with all world talent. And now he's come back and he's going to be the best by just absorbing an otherworldly amount of punishment day in and day out. 
That's that's pretty much it. And one of my we can talk a little bit about narratives for the for the playoffs. Uh, but one of the things that I'm I'm really kind of excited to see develop as a narrative during the upcoming playoff run is Eric Carlson as like the iron veteran guy who like because at a certain point, I think he can basically transition from being the Swedish guy that everybody's like, oh, yeah, but he's not tough to being like Nicholas Lidstrom. Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. that's the next step for him in terms of reputation as a defenseman. And I feel like if the Senators are able to kind of do a long playoff run where Carlson is clearly hurt, but dragging his team to victory every night, um, I think that will go a long way to kind of ensuring he wins the next seven Norris trophies on the base of his reputation yeah like carlson plays 65 minutes in four overtime victory in game seven over toronto yeah and the thing thing, is like we all we always knew like if you watched enough senators game it's like we always knew that carlson was like a tough guy and that he would play hurt and all of that i think it was maybe it was two years ago but i think it was last year where near the end of the season he did one of those like all-access post-game shows with Gord Wilson, and it started going around on Twitter that you could see when he was, like, getting in and out of the chair that, like, he was, like, really wincing badly, like he was really hurt, even though the team had never said anything about it. And then after the season, he was like, oh, yeah, I was playing with, like, I didn't have any bones on, like, my left side or something like that. (laughs) It was like, but it's fine, you know, I was playing out the string on a team that didn't make the playoffs uh, because I'm Eric Carlson. And it was like, oh, wow, he actually is really tough. And I think this season that combined with the fact that he actually is blocking a ton of shots whether that's good or not has let other people realize that oh maybe this guy isn't you know just a flashy offensive dude maybe he actually is a uh grizzled hockey player who's going to noticeably shorten his career by blocking enough shots to lead the league in a statistic that doesn't really correlate with winning a fully healthy ottawa senators team does look extremely Dece on paper, you gotta say. Give Pierre Dorian credit. Those deadline moves really shored up the bottom six. And, you know, even if Ottawa ends up playing Toronto, you'd have to say that Toronto has not seen the current iteration of the Ottawa Senators. And I think it would be very interesting to see how, you know, a strengthened, uh, more resilient bottom six holds up against Austin Matthews and friends. So you talk about a bottom six, but like the problem the Senators have now when everybody's healthy is who do you actually play? Because they have, if you include everybody that's currently on the roster, I think they have 17 forwards. So if you say that your top nine is going to be um, whatever combination you want to put together of Hoffman, Turris, Stone, Broussard, Smith, Ryan. Uh, I'm assuming that if Ryan's healthy, he's going to play in the playoffs. Burroughs, Pajot, Stahlberg. Let's say that's your top nine. Mm -hmm. That leaves you for the remaining three forward spots with Clark MacArthur, Tom Pyatt, Chris Kelly, Tommy Wingles, Ryan Dezingle, Colin White, the idea of Chris Neal, and last but certainly not least, Chris DiDomenico. (laughs) And you have seven guys, eight guys, that you have to put into three spots there. It's it's really an embarrassment of, like, not an embarrassment of riches, but, like, an embarrassment of, like, good stuff. And so if you say those last three spots are going to go to, in some order, Ryan Dezingle, which it, it definitely should... Uh, Clark MacArthur, um, so long as he's mm-hmm. healthy, that gives you, and you say that, okay, Neil and Domenico are probably not going to, you know, really make an impact here. That leaves you with four guys for one spot, Wingles, Kelly, White, and Pyatt, right? Mm-hmm. And who do you, who do you take out of that group? 
guess this is why they pay uh, Guy Boucher the the big bucks because it's his job to throw a dart at that dartboard and go. All right, it's going to be Wingles tonight. Let's go with it. <laughs> well, what I see happening is I don't see him taking Tom Pyatt out of the lineup. So I think Tom Pyatt ends up playing over Colin White, over Wingles. But the other thing he doesn't want to seem to do is take Chris Kelly out of the lineup. And I think that means that if you're going to see, a, assuming everybody's healthy, if you're going to see a guy sit um, during the playoffs, it's going to be like Ryan Dezingle, uh, which is, you know, not ideal in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think Chris Kelly is in that uh, Chris Neal thank you for your service zone where <laughs> yeah well you're just gonna have you're just gonna have guys outside of you know gate three during the playoffs you know signing jerseys and wearing suits and <laughs> otherwise you know fetching brian murray uh his chimichangas in the press box well i think nobody really expected that clark MacArthur was going to be back so it's kind of a nice problem to have in a lot of ways that there's now way too much depth i just hope that within the next couple of games they can kind of figure out what their bottom six is going to be going forward and they just go with it right and you just say okay wingles kelly you know whoever like you're sitting and that's what we're going to roll with for the rest of playoffs that said i could see like, say we're in the second round, game five against the Habs, and all of a sudden, random Chris Neal reappearance. Like, I could see that happening. Just, you know, Chris Neal comes back for a playoff game at some point, just to, like, fire up the troops, plays four minutes or something like that, because Bouger's basically only going with a top nine. But that would be, that's another playoff narrative that I can see. I can see developing the random Chris Neal reappearance. Just like Shea Weber hits Kyle Turris from behind, and then the next game, Chris Neal is mysteriously in the lineup, and you're like, hmm, wonder what's <laughs> going to happen here. Yeah, well, I mean, let's let's be honest. Whether or not the Senators play Boston or Toronto in the first round, the first round of the playoffs is always kind of a gong show, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's always the round that has the most fights, uh, the most like random dirty hits, the most retaliations, all of that. Like we remember Brian Boyle versus Eric Carlson. We remember Matt Karkner versus Brian Boyle. We remember the Hab series, you know, uh, a couple years ago with the five man line brawl in game three. That is going to happen with either of these two teams that the Senators are going to face in the first round. I think as long as they've got Zach Smith back in the lineup, I think that's going to go a long way to dealing with a bunch of nonsense. And Obviously, Mark Borvietsky uh, is going to start over Freddie Clayson when everyone is healthy so that he can be our Matt Karkner uh, for whoever needs it in the first round of the playoffs this year, which is too bad in a way because I think Clayson has been really great. But I think Boucher is going to want that guy like Borvietsky. And then maybe when Borvietsky gets suspended for boarding in the first round, that's when we get to see Freddie Clayson make his appearance. We might see Chris Neal at some point this weekend, and, and I think he'll probably play for Fan Appreciation Day and have a last home game but i don't see him there is there is no fan who appreciates the senators more than chris neal (laughs) chris neal appreciates the senators so much as a fan he he has come to every game what dedication right but no i i I totally see him coming back randomly in like the second round or like the eastern conference finals if they happen to make it that far that's when chris neal comes back when he's when he's least expected He's not really a black ace so much as just a baseball bat (laughs) with a nail through it. (laughs) He might not be a black ace, but he's still a real good tennis spades, you know? Yeah, exactly. We'll we'll keep that that guy around. So let's talk about possible playoff opponents. The overwhelming favorites for Ottawa to face in the first round at the moment are Boston and Toronto. Um, Between those teams, Chet Sellers, who do you want? I want Toronto. 
for a couple of reasons. One, um, I <laughs> have always secretly harbored a desire to see what the city of Ottawa looks like when it burns to the ground. Um, <laughs> but realistically, I think it's because between Boston and Toronto, as you know, excited as Toronto is and as you know, much of a coaching job Mike Babcock has kind of done this year. I do get the sense that if Toronto makes the playoffs, there is going to be a little bit of a happy-to-be-here vibe. Like, they're going to be like, all right, we didn't expect to make the playoffs. We made the playoffs. It's all gravy from here. And as soon as you kind of get in that mindset, I feel like the Senators are going to eat them for lunch. The other reason why is uh, Toronto's a loose team. They score a lot of goals, but they give up a lot of goals. And mm-hmm. I think Ottawa can shut down Toronto's offense better than uh, Toronto can shut down Ottawa's offense. So I can see some high-scoring games, but I think Toronto will fall victim to the system much as they did uh, in three out of four games uh, this year. And I would expect that to continue in the first round. I'm going to take the other side of this one. I would like to see Boston, and this is for two reasons. Number one is that it maintains the possibility that Toronto misses the playoffs, which is would be extremely desirable for a number of reasons. And uh, the second reason I would like to see Boston is because Ottawa is a team that's kind of handled Boston quite a bit over the past couple seasons. Um, Ottawa's really had Boston's number. Most memorably, when Boston had a uh, must-win game against Ottawa, against an eliminated Ottawa Senators team last year, and then got blown out 6-1 to one in their own building. <laughs> um, and I think Ottawa's also won all their games against Boston this year. They're a good team. They're well-structured. Patrice Bergeron and uh, Tori Krug. Um, am I missing anyone? Any any rats? Am I missing anyone? I can't think of any. Um, <laughs> but that's why... Rask is a good goalie, but I feel I just feel like Ottawa is a better version of the team Boston tries to be, generally speaking. So so a couple things though. Yes, they were they played really well against Boston this year, better than even Toronto. But you know as well as I do that one of the principles of statistics is that as soon as you notice a trend, it goes away. I also think that as good as the Leafs are offensively, a lot of those guys have not been in the playoffs before because they've spent their careers with Toronto, whereas guys like Marshawn, Bergeron, and Pasternak, and etc. are all going to be a little more accustomed to that environment, and maybe that is just sort of a false narrative kind of thing, and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and William Nylander will all be experienced, savvy playoff veterans in their first game, but I think they'd have to prove that first. I also think that Boston is, Nazem Kadri aside, I think Boston has more guys that are going to throw a headshot at Clark MacArthur, and I don't like that. Based on what I'm hearing you say today, it just sounds like the main attribute you're focused on for this playoff series is grizzledness. (laughs) Well, you know me, right? I'm all about playoff narratives. The one thing I do like about whether they face Toronto or Boston One of the great things about having those two as a matchup is that Dion Phaneuf and Clark MacArthur can get revenge either way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They can either get revenge on Toronto for dumping them or they can get revenge on Boston for beating them when it was. What was it? What was the score? Was it 4-1? Uh, It was 4-1, wasn't it? Um, um, I believe and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was 4-1. There you go. So we have, but either way, we have the revenge narrative for both of those guys. So I'm, I'm very excited to see, to see them back in the playoffs against, against either of these two opponents. A playoff series against Toronto would be emotionally fraught, mm-hmm. uh, but the hater potential is just <laughs> hitherto unseen in this world. Right. Like Dion Phaneuf, overtime winner, 
against the Leafs? Can you in the playoffs? Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine your next day at work when that happened? Can you imagine just lording that goal over I that can... Leafs fan guy you hate in your office? It would be such pure hatred. It would be if we could. I know that nobody's around from the old Battle of Ontario playoff matchups except for Chris Neal. But if we could basically redo the Battle of Ontario over the next four or five years with the scenario completely flipped, where Dion Phaneuf is like our Gary Roberts or something like that, that would be just outstanding. There is a lot of potential for the narrative totally flipping on a Battle of Ontario series, you know, where Toronto is the team with the young, skilled guys who are fast but kind of defensively suspect, and uh, Ottawa is the team with the grizzled veterans, good goaltender, and the best Swede in hockey. Well. <laughs> yeah, and I think to me it comes down to I just expect Ottawa to play a more structured game than Toronto, and I think that will work itself out over the course of, you know, six games or something like that. The other thing I think that will happen is Zach Smith will do something to Nazem Kadri that will be quietly settled out of court in a few years. <laughs> Again, so much hating potential. Within five minutes of puck drop in game one in a series against the Leafs, the Sens-Habs rivalry that has consumed us for the last three, four years is over. Like It's yeah. it's all Toronto all the time after that. That is what really needs to renew the Sens-Leaf rivalry, which has been kind of, you know, low simmer over the last couple of years. Like that will jumpstart it uh, in a big way. And it, it they're the team that we were born to hate, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we've made do with the Habs and I will always hate the Habs and if we face the Habs in the second round I'm going to hate them again more than ever but the Leafs are the team that we were born to hate this is you know we have carved out our niche in their territory and we need to continue to defend it and we need to continue to push our borders back against the Leafs fans it'd be it'd be very interesting to see how the battle of Ontario changes with the next generation you know there is a whole there's a whole generation of kids um, in school right now that have never been alive for an Ottawa-Toronto playoff series, and you know it's gonna be it's gonna be history repeating itself in uh, school cafeterias um, all over Ontario. <laughs> uh, That's the, perpetuating the uh, cycle of violence. Do do kids still give wedgies, or is there like an app for that now? I don't know. I think it's part of the sharing economy. <laughs> you actually just call someone in. Yeah, it's all done in an Uber pool. Can I like level with you on something here? Go for it. I've been dancing around this a bit, but I gotta be straight up with you. Mm-hmm. I'm just afraid. I'm afraid to lose to the Leafs again. I don't want to see it happen. And the fact that Ottawa playing Toronto would put losing Toronto in play just makes me deeply concerned in my very soul. Um, make me feel better about this. The only way that you can not lose to the Leafs is to beat the Leafs. And I think there will be no greater spiritual cleanse for this team than beating the Leafs. Even if it's 15 years later, I think at some point this team has to beat the Leafs in the playoffs. Why not us? Why not now? That's the way I look at it. And you can't do it if you don't play them. I guess at the end of that series, we'll just all be Andy Dufresne at the end of the Shawshank Redemption. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just completely covered in feces. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, we will be watching the games with Leafs fans, so... Yeah, that's right. It's only logical. That's right. Um, I'm hoping that playoff tickets are going to be expensive enough, but we all know that they're not. They're going to be some pretty rowdy games. uh, Yeah, there's there's no amount of money in the world that would keep the general decorum level uh, of those crowds high. I think we're kind of agreeing that uh, given the option, I think we'd rather face the Leafs. Am I wrong? Am I right? 
Um, no, I'm still sticking with my Boston pick. <laughs> you want a you want a boring Boston series full of cheap shots and two one games rather than the dizzying highs and terrifying lows of playing Toronto in the playoffs. That's right. I'm not ready for this. This wasn't supposed to happen this year. I need, okay. I need another year. Well, I, I want to let it ride, and I want Toronto. And I don't want Toronto in another year because they're going to be better. I want them now. Yeah, I, I guess that's do- a good point. I, and I want to point to this series against Toronto and say, you know what? Toronto could have been great, but Ottawa just got in their heads that first year when they squeaked into the playoffs, and just they were never the same after that. That's what I want to say. You know what? Let's do it. I guess if Ottawa does have to play Toronto again, then I want that Ottawa team to have Eric Carlson on it. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think we can uh, we can expect our tough, grizzled veteran captain back for Game One, along with Ryan, along with Smith, along with Mathot, and I'm looking forward to it, uh, regardless of who the opponent is. But I want it to be Toronto. Eric Carlson in this series will just be if Gary Roberts and Matt Sundin were one person. I love it. <laughs> so much grizzledness. Oh, so fit. That'll be great. (laughs) Well, folks, there you have it. Don't be afraid of a Leaf series, should it come to pass. Great moments are born from uh, great opportunities, and this might be what we have here. With uh, with great systems come great responsibilities, and our responsibility now, if we uh, are fortunate enough to play Toronto, is to demoralize them and uh, completely destroy any chance they have of ever rebuilding ever again. All right, folks, so we'll be back with some more playoff episodes, um, hopefully many, many more. And otherwise, uh, enjoy your spring, enjoy your playoff hockey. Go Sens Go, and we'll see you soon. See you soon. Christian Sellers were a couple of fellers who both still live with their moms. Breaking the town's local hockey team down with some microphones on. No other podcast was finer. What was more of a hit with the big rig diners? We never thought they'd make it past episode five. Whoa, somehow these dudes named Shed and Peristi are live. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know me, I'm super patient in the development of young players. But once Colin White missed that shootout attempt in his first game, I was done with him. All right, it's time to move on from Colin White. It's time to cut bait on that guy who couldn't score in the seventh round of the shootout in his first ever game in a must-win game. I'm ready to Curtis Lazar the guy. Yeah, um, at this point, it's just a matter of whose second-round pick are we going to get for Colin White when we trade him as a reclamation project to someone else. (laughs) Exactly. Curtis Lazar is kind of our Tim Tebow, isn't he?